This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. This is a Web Canopy Studio production. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting Wednesday episode of Dropping the Gloves. I hope everyone's doing good. This is John Scott coming at you hot and heavy from Traverse City, Michigan, once again without Tim. When we rework his contract, I need to have it put in there that he has to work on Wednesdays because it's just, it's hard doing a podcast by yourself. And I know I've had guests and stuff, but it's hard to kind of do the intro. There's no mojo. I'm sitting here in my basement by myself drinking my coffee, listening to my kids run around upstairs. So if you hear scratching or something that sounds like Wolverine at the door, just ignore it. It's just my kids. It's, it's 8.57 in the morning. It's a Tuesday morning. And, you know, life is busy. I got six kids up there running around. My wife's trying to corral them. So just bear with me, everybody. So I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone's I always say it. it's weird that you have to wish people safe. You know, it's just so strange. It's so strange. But anyways, I hope everybody's doing good. Lots of action last night. I'm a big Raptors fan. They, they started their playoffs and they got the W last night. Absolutely worked the Brooklyn Nets who were just literally a ragtag group of guys. They pulled off the street because all the guys who they had on their team just opted out of this play in bubble. So they literally have a bunch of G league guys and some bench warmers who are now starters and they actually played pretty well. But the Raptors are just too good. They they were up by 30-some points in the first half, and then it just coasted to victory. So, I don't know, man. Maybe not having Kawhi around isn't such a bad thing. The Raptors look pretty good. So, anyways, moving forward to hockey, there was some action last night. We got a couple of the games and series, which I thought were going to take a turn for the more competitive. I've just taken a turn for the, these series are going to be over. And then there's one where the Blues, they came back, and now they're up. They're tied 2-2. So the Avalanche absolutely just destroyed the Coyotes. I think the Coyotes' win was a one-game one aberration. The Avalanche might have just kind of taken that game off. Whatever. They played State Up late, late playing Halo or whatever the kids are playing, Call of Duty. I don't know what you guys play anymore. But they probably up late playing video games and stuff like that. So they kind of caught, got caught off guard, but they worked 7-1. to 7-1. to one. That's, that's a big score. And like, it, it was just, it was an absolute shellacking. I think the Avalanche's goalie, Grubauer, only saved 14 shots, meaning he only had 15 shots on net. Contrast to that with, we were talking about last episode about goalies saving 50 shots. Like, 
Corpusalo had 80 some saves in a game. I know it was a bunch of overtimes, but 15 shots on net by the Coyotes. That's unheard of. That's just really good defense by the Avalanche. So today we're going to have on a TSN analyst, a TSN insider. And for those of you in the States, TSN is the sports network. It's the equivalent of sports center here in the States. So he's the big hockey insider, Frank Cervalli. And I'm excited to have him on the show. I met him actually in 2016 when I went there and did a gig for the the trade deadline or something like that, the free agent frenzy. I can't remember what I went there for, but he was really nice. He was kind of up and coming at that point. And now he's exploded into this like top, top guy for TSN. So it'd be interesting. He's going to jump on any second now, hopefully. If not, I'm just going to sit here and talk to you guys for half an hour about random stuff, which I don't think you want to hear. But um yeah, just touching on last night's games, the Bruins, who I thought were going to fold, honestly, with the Tukaras stuff, they continue to have this resilience and perseverance that obviously I don't know why I question them. They've been here, done that. They're Most of them are – well, some of them are Stanley Cup champions. All of them went to the Game 7 finals last year and lost. So they have a ton of experience on that roster. And who am I to judge them? I'm some schmelt who hasn't won a thing and didn't go anywhere in the playoffs. I had played a cup of coffee in the playoffs. So they know what they're doing. Losing their goalie is not a big deal for them. And obviously Rask wasn't playing that great when he was in the bubble. And Halak is at this point a lateral, if not an increase for them, getting a better goalie. Where I think they will struggle is when they play more competitive teams down the line. I know the Hurricanes are good. They're talented. They're fun to watch. But the Bruins are just a, such a professional team. They go about their business and they get get the work done. So I think down the line, if they play a, a more experienced team, that's where they need Rask to kind of help them out and bail them out of some situations. But right now, they are just smothering the Hurricanes. They're playing good, good playoff hockey. And I thought this game, I thought this series was going to go to the Hurricanes way. I really did. And I, and I stuck my tongue out, my foot out. What do you say? I, I stuck my leg out my foot out I stuck my nose out is that it I stuck my nose out and picked the Hurricanes and and it doesn't look good so the Bruins are up three to one the Lightning again another pick I picked the Blue Jackets I thought they would pull this one out just based off of their performance versus the Leafs and how they handled that type of offense and again a very experienced team in the Tampa Bay Lightning they had a little scare when they lost to the Blue Jackets in the second game to tie it up They've gone about their business. They played a very good, tight game. And now they're up three to one against the Blue Jackets. And if you're up three to one, there's no way you should lose the next three. So that's just me. And then, yeah, going back to the the Hurricanes were up two nothing going into the third period of this decisive, crucial, crucial fourth game to tie it up two to two. And the Bruins just come storming back. So, anyways, oh, hold on. Someone's trying to get in my waiting room here. I think it's Frank the Tank. I don't know if he likes that name. We'll see. Frank. Frank, baby. John, what's up? Oh, my man. We're right mid-podcast. Thanks for jumping on, my man. I'm doing well. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. I was just talking to my viewers about all the craziness that's going on in the hockey world right now. And, I, and I'm like, who should we talk to? But Frank, Sarah Valley, the TSN senior hockey reporter, mob informant. What's going on, my man? Not too much. Just trying to wade through like 14 hours of hockey a day. 
So yeah, let's let's just touch on that. So you are the guy at TSN. Well, one of many guys, but you're a senior hockey reporter. How hard is it to keep up with all this hockey? Do you watch all the games? We had Patrick Sharp on last week, and he's like, "Yeah, we literally sit in the studio and watch every single game." Is that what you guys yeah, do? You're constantly taking notes and stuff. Pretty much me, yeah. Throughout the day, I, it's funny because I turn the game on. You know, the first one either at twelve or at three Eastern, and then. I feel like I get nothing done the rest of the day because it's on all the time and I'm constantly looking at it and making calls and, and making notes. But it's funny because then you turn around at 1030 or 11 o'clock and you're like, wait, the last game is just starting right now. Like, is this real? And so in a, in an odd way, it's kind of like hockey overload. Like at least when you have this many games going on in a normal first round, you kind of pick and choose. You've got, you know, a couple early ones, a couple late ones, and you flip back and forth. But the fact that they're staggered out perfectly so that you pretty much don't have to get off your couch is kind of dangerous in a way. So what do you look for when you're watching a game? Cause you're not a regular fan. Are you, are you like, following a certain player, you know, you want to write about him or you, you know, there's something going on in the team or you just sit there and watch. Uh, sometimes I sit there and watch like when it gets to this time of year, it's a lot of it's just about what happens in the games. And so you're always looking for some kind of trend. Like I've been following just these really odd goal line angle goals that have been scored over goalie shoulders. Like you look for many trends. Um, you know, you try and find some sort of angle that is overarching that can apply to a number of games. But a lot of times, like, you know, you sit down and you watch the the Lightning and Columbus game last week and it goes to the second overtime and then the third and the fourth. And you're like, all right, this has easily become a story that you have to write about. And so sometimes it happens right in front of you when you least expect it. So for our, our listeners, our hundreds of thousands of listeners, Frank works for TSN, but he started off with the the awful Philadelphia Flyers organization. He was their, their beat writer, worked for him, still, still worked for a Philly paper, if I'm not wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So what, yeah, I, I worked for the Philadelphia Daily News to start. Yeah, how do you get to TSN? Because that's like the, the mecca for hockey coverage. How does that happen? Do they just kind of poach you from Philly, or do you just like send your resume in when they needed a, a writer? How does that work? Tell us, Frank. Well, it was kind of like half and half they had put made a job posting online that they were looking for a writer. And so at the same time that I had sent in my application um, and my resume, I had contacted Bob McKenzie who had been, um, you know, I'd been in touch with somewhat regularly since I got on the flyers beat. And he said, Hey, he's like, you've done a great job in Philly. He's like, I'll put in a good word for you. And when the Bob, when the Bob father puts in a good word for you, uh, (laughs) your application suddenly, is one that gets looked at. And so when you get a second eye with the help of Bob, uh, can go a long way. So I met you in 2016 for some kind of free agent thing in TSN. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you were on camera then, but I remember meeting you and I was like, who is this kid? Like, what is he doing here? And were we sitting at the same table off camera, just trying to like get insider information for trades and stuff. But I was just like, who is this guy? And why is he here? And I was just like, and then, Fast forward four years later, and you're just like, did you ever envision yourself being on like Sports Center? You're on That's Hockey, you're on the radio, you're writing articles for TSN. Like, you're all over this network. Did you ever like envision your success so quickly? 
Yeah, like that's kind of what I had in mind when I joined. Um, <laughs> like when I first came on, it was really mostly just to write stories. And I saw an opportunity for it to be a little bit bigger than that. And so it's kind of grown organically. Like you make connections with the insiders. You try and touch, you know, as you said, try and get my fingerprints on every little piece of hockey that TSN does to try and add to it and add value in some way. And so, um, you know, in some ways it was natural. In some ways there were some ideas that I had in my head that I wanted to do and accomplish. And um, it's been crazy to watch it all unfold. And now, you know, I think hopefully it continues to take more of a step forward here with, you know, Bob McKenzie stepping into semi-retirement where there's more of an opening to do some more insider work, because that's what I really like to do is talk to people and get to know them and, um, you know, break trades and signings and everything else that comes with it. So Bob is so great at that, where he literally has personal relationships with pretty much every GM in the league and they trust him. Does he like Mm -hmm. kind of bring you along as his protege to help groom you to take over his spot? Like you said, the Bob father, or do you just have to make those relationships on your own? And then on top of that, is it hard to gain that trust from these guys? Cause they don't know you from a hole in a while, really when they first meet you. Right. Yeah. So it can be. Um, and I'd say it's a little bit of both. Like sometimes it's Bob or Darren or Pierre Lebrun making an introduction for you at a GM meeting, or sometimes, um, these guys will see you on TV or see one of your stories. And then when you, you know, introduce yourself or you make a phone call or send a text, like you're not just some stranger that is hounding them for information. And then, you know, the, the trust thing, I just think takes a while. Like it's, you're not going to just randomly call someone on, on, on their first try. They're going to just start spilling the details. Like, you know, usually you have to bring something to the table too. And that's the other part of it is like, having a full scope of the understanding of the situation and see if you can perhaps offer a tidbit of information that, you know, that can then help their process along as well. So it's always um, a little bit of horse trading that goes on uh, behind the scenes on these phone calls and text messages where, you know, the more information that's shared, I think the better off everyone is. And so, um, you know, those guys have been unbelievable in helping me make connections and then, it's up to me to kind of build that trust factor and preserve that moving forward. And for me, it's not hard to do because, you know, you got to know me a little bit. We hung out after, uh, after that day at free agent frenzy, like, you know, I treat people fairly and equally. So, uh, or at least I try to, and, and that's something moving forward that, um, you know, I think makes it easy to, to build that trust factor because you understand where people are coming from. Were you at that table when we bumped into Shanahan and um, Jacques Lemaire? Yes. Or Lou Lamorello. And Lou told me I should yeah, retire Yeah, it was Lou Lamorello, yeah. Yeah. So you were there when Lou's like, you should hang it up, John? Like, that's enough? Yes. Wasn't that awkward? <laughs> so it, weird. It was, but you were, you, are, you were already thinking it, no? I was already thinking it, but for it to have some GM look you square in the eye and he's like, you've had enough. So for those of you listeners, after this um, TSN gig I did, it was me, you, was it Bob and Pierre Maguire? I can't remember. No, it was me, you and Pierre Lebrun. And we went out to a barbecue place near his house and we had like nine pounds of beef. Like we had the straight meat sweats in the middle of the summer 
we we had like a million beers and then at some point we met up with Brendan Shanahan and Lou Lamorello at a place downtown in Toronto somewhere and then the night continued on yeah, it was really neat. We almost just kind of, I, I wonder if Pierre had that rendezvous set in place. But yeah, it was so funny. Just like typical Lou Lamorello shoots from the hip. He doesn't hold anything back. He's like, you should retire. Like that was a pretty, pretty great weekend you had, but it's, it's enough. You've had enough, John. I was like, hmm, okay, sounds good. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think to be fair, he was like, he was pretty polite in the way that he said it. Like you were talking, I think previously about like, you know, what what your plans were moving forward and you know should I get into media like what should I do and you were thinking about all the different options that you had and like yeah it was just interesting you know sometimes like that stuff can be blunt but then like you hear it and it's coming from him and a guy that's pretty well thought out and like he doesn't just say stuff just to say it like he's not saying it for effect or no to be an ass like he's saying it and you're like holy smokes like this guy doesn't hold back like he actually tells you what he thinks it's refreshing because most people would just beat around the bush and like blow smoke up your behind like oh no you could definitely play and he's like no like this game is changed. yeah I think he's like hang go. him up john yeah yeah and i i appreciated that but it was like whoa lou we just i just met you <laughs> but right no and i was sitting there because like you know and 2016 i'm kind of like it's my second year at tsn like i barely know these guys and i was just kind of like the guy sitting at the table that doesn't speak unless absolutely spoken to and it was just funny to be a fly on the wall kind of for that conversation because at some point I kind of felt like you were like taken aback by him saying it so bluntly and there was just like oh man like I hope this doesn't get you know doesn't get heated or anything yeah we're, we were all men we were all professional I don't get upset too easily with that stuff so it was fun but anyways you mentioned like insiders how do you, do you have players who like, you must text with the players. Cause I know when I was playing, I would text with Bob McKenzie sometimes if it was like the free agent deadline, he's like, do you know where you're going to sign or what's going on or this and that trying to get updates. Do you, when you do an article and you say like a source close to the team, who is that? I know, I know you can't reveal it, but it's just always is this like, who are these guys? Like a trainer, a stick guy? Like who are Could these be anyone? Like anyone, like literally anyone. And that's, you know, you, you rely on the relationships that you've built over the course of your career. Like this is now uh, year 11 for me covering the NHL. Like you just meet people and it's not always just a player. I talk to a lot of players. I talk to a lot of GMs, a lot of agents, a lot of coaches, like, you know, trainers go down the list. Like there's just, you know, it's funny because you think 31 soon to be 32 teams and all these players and everyone around it, it feels like there's so many people that you can talk to, but then at the same time, it feels like hockey's like the world's smallest $5 billion industry. And so uh, it's, it's funny in a way that sometimes you feel like you keep coming back to the same people, but that goes back to the trust factor that I was talking about. It's like, if, if you're John Scott and I text you four or five years ago and I'm like, Hey, where are you signing? Like you're not answering. Cause you have no idea who I am, but, it, you know, you had maybe known Bob a little bit and you might give him a tip or a hint um, if you can. And that's how it works is like, you know, there has to like you have to know people in order to make that work. Yeah. And players really do respect and appreciate the top guys and they read the articles so they know who you are. So I don't know. It, it's cool when a player gets a text. Like I know when I got my first text from like a Gord Miller or a Bob McKenzie or even a Donald Cherry, I was like, wow, this is like so cool. Because as players, you watch the highlights, you watch the games, and you see these guys, and you kind of put them up on a pedestal a little bit because you're like, oh, like, that's so cool. I want to get interviewed by him someday. So it's neat 
do you, so when you get a piece of information, how much, like, what is your checks and balances for when you get to tweet that out? Because once you tweet it, it's gone and you have a reputation to maintain. So do you go through a process of like vetting some piece of information, like the Malkin surgery that you just um, broke? What, what did you have to go through to tweet that out or get that going? Well, that, that one actually came from the Penguins. They had released that directly. So, like, uh, that one isn't one that you, you know, when it comes from the team and it's a press okay. release, like, that's just mm-hmm. an easy tweet. But a lot of things, like, you're right. Like, you'll you'll hear something and, you know, you got to make calls. Like, you have to confirm it from the other way around. And so, usually I try to get at least two people. It depends on who it's coming from. Like, if, um, if someone's telling me I, I just got bought out by my team, like, that's a pretty trustworthy source. Like that guy has no reason to make it up. Like, so you go with it, but if it's, you know, I'm hearing that so-and-so is going to get traded somewhere. Like you then need to circle back to the GM, or if you didn't get it from the GM, then you try and go to the other GM and the deal to try and confirm it. And so there's like, there's definitely a lot of, um, you know, a lot of checks and balances, as you mentioned, because you like, you know, since I've been at TSN, like I, you know, I, I haven't kept like a, a daily running counter or anything, but like, I'd like to say that my batting average is close to a thousand. Like, you know, if I'm tweeting it, like it's right. Like, and I've gone the extra step or two or three to confirm it. And in some cases with some really difficult stories, like uh, the one that I wrote with Akeem Aliou, uh last November that ended up with Bill Peters leaving the Calgary flames, like, that one had to go through five lawyers in order to make it wow. happen. Like basically, you know, I talked to Akeem in that story and then he had made some claims against Bill Peters, but it was from a team in, in Rockford in 2010. So I had to go back to that Rockford roster. I used the old hockey DB and I just had to find guys from that team and then somehow track down a phone number for guys that played in the AHL 10 years ago. Yeah. And that's where your connections and friends in the game come in. Someone passes you a number for this guy or this guy, or I played in college with this guy. And so you get a number and then you got to get those guys. You hope that they've heard of you at some point, get them to answer your call and talk to them and then have them confirm. They're like, yeah, Bill Peters said that. So then you can use their name to back up the claim that's being made from Akeem. And then after that, that's when it goes to the lawyers to say, yes, this is something that TSN won't get sued for. So it's a whole process at times uh, can be uh, onerous to, to pull off. But, you know, at the end of the day, what you want is purely accurate information. So, you know, you want to make sure that even for a story that, uh, people are upset about, or, or like in Bill Peters' case, you know, a serious allegation levied that what you're saying and what you're reporting is absolutely accurate. Yeah, it's got to be factual, especially in a serious situation. It's like could cost them on their livelihood. So, mm-hmm. is there any type of competition between you and the guys, like to break news? Because uh, I always like there's definitely a pecking order when it comes to TSN, but like the top echelon guys, like you mentioned them, you, Dregs, Bob. Uh, even James Duffy, those guys, is there a pecking order or a competition, excuse me, to who can break the news or the signing or the trade first? I, you know, I think that's the one really cool thing about working at TSN is that like, I learned pretty quickly in the first couple of days, like just that we're a team. And so we, a lot of times we work together, like, you know, I heard something yesterday and, and that's the other cool thing about the job is like, you hear about so many different things that 
you don't even have a chance to report on or you're working on it for a couple of weeks that, you know, you have an idea of something that might come to fruition. Like last night I, I called Dregs and we were just chit-chatting about, um, you know, something that's going on around the league. And so, you know, I pass along some information to Dregs. He might have something for me, some important background that helps. And then he'll go and talk to someone and help me try and get the news that we're looking for or vice versa. I'll, you know, if he's got a little nugget of information, I'll try and help him get more. And so I think that help that happens every day. So that's the cool part about TSN is that, you know, Dregs doesn't care if I break it. I don't care if Dregs breaks it. Uh, we just want to make sure that as a network, we're getting it first. And so that's where the competition really lies is that, um, you know, we're trying to, to beat our rival and our competitor. And so we want to make sure that we get all that news and information first so that people know that TSN is the place to come for it. Oh, you guys are. Trust me. You guys are the best. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with a revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device. When Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments, he created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get it to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. So buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire but only until Labor Day. So go right now, like right now, to theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. So visit NFLTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. So let's let's switch over to hockey. Enough for your personal life and this and that. So what did you what do you think of the bubble so far? You think it's a, a smash success? Would you do anything differently? Like what what are your thoughts? I think it's worked really well just judging by the protocol that's in place with 
you know, the number of people that have tested positive, which is exactly zero in three right. plus weeks now that people have been there. So um, I, I really, you know, in talking to players, I haven't heard too many complaints, like especially the guys that were on those teams in the round robin, they got the really nice hotel. And so they were pretty pleased, like the one Hotel X in Toronto has a rooftop pool and, you know, all sorts of fun things to do right nearby. You can go over to BMO Field and play soccer or Frisbee or there's plenty of outdoor space. They've got some outdoor restaurants. They've got some restaurants that they took over in town. So the, really the only thing that players are, you know, eating at the hotel for, so to speak, is breakfast with they, when they have a buffet. And so after that, you're kind of on your own. The team might bring you a sandwich or something uh, for lunch or they'll have something set up after practice. But after that, like you're free and clear for dinner pretty much. And so players have taken advantage of that. And you know, I think they've, you know, I was going to ask you just being a family guy, like how would you have handled, you know, you see Tuka Rask take a step back and decide to opt out from the bubble because he wanted to be with his family. Like, you know, you've got, your girls, like how would you handle being in a bubble for weeks on end? Well, that would be the hardest part, right? Like at first it would be fine the first couple of weeks because that's normal. But I think just the prospect of even Tuca, like he's looking at a deep Stanley Cup run. And if it's already hard at game two, it's going to be hard at game 30 when you're two months from now. So that's – it's intimidating as a player to think about that, especially when your wife is literally underwater, like with all the kids and the newborn and stuff. So – it would be really, really hard. And I was thinking, it's like, you can't just get a nanny or a babysitter to come in during these times, you know? So it's, it's kind of difficult to put yourself in somebody's situation, but I don't know if I would have left, you know, if you're going for the Stanley cup, but you have to respect the decision because it's hard. Like at the end of the day, we, we have families, we have lives and hockey is number one, a, but family is one, you know? So they're, you kind of have to. Well, I'm glad you said that because like we constantly say family is first and I feel like it's easy for people to say, but it's a lot harder for people to do. And so then we have a guy that actually acts in a family first manner. And then people are ripping him to shreds on social media saying, you know, you've made millions of dollars. You owe it to your teammates. Like, how do you, you know, it's a tough line to walk because so many people are relying on you, but at the same time, like, the only people that really matter are the four in your five in your household. Yeah. The, the true feelings of fans really come out when, when they don't like your decision and all these people would have been like, Oh yeah, Tuca for sure. For sure. Like family comes first. And then when he does put that into play, you're like, no, you're terrible. Like, Tuka, you're, you're, you're a garbage. traitor. Right? Yeah. Like, you're, you're like, a traitor like, to the Bruins. It's just, it's just so funny how it works out. But like, he, he, it's a hard decision. You got to respect him for that. Like this is a difficult decision for he's never won a cup. And his team is like scratching at the door to win a cup this year. So it's, it's a big, let's touch on him. So does this change the Bruins chances of winning the cup in your opinion? What, what I don't do they go so. from? Yeah, go ahead. Well, just, I think Yara Halak is, you know, you look at the numbers and you look at the way that the Bruins play with him and in, in that, like he's, you know, if not the best backup in the league, you know, he's certainly right up there. And so you look at the workload that he's also had, uh, this year was a strange season because it got clipped with 10 or 12 games left, but he played 40 games last year. Like he almost split the workload with Tuca because of some injuries. And so um, even this year playing 31 is a lot, 18, six and six was his record. So, um, you know, I think they're really, they're one of those teams that is actually not in a bad position having their 
starting goalie walk away and saying that knowing that Tuca is one of the best in the league at what he does, like they're actually not up a Creek without a paddle because of the way Halak plays. Like there's maybe only a couple other teams left that you could say that about, um, you know, maybe Dallas with the way that Kudovin's played. Um, uh, but you know, other than that, any other team would be floundering. Yeah. I, I think it will affect them. Halak is, is, I think of it as a, as a lateral move, but Rask is just so much better when it comes to crunch time. And in my opinion, I just think he's such a game changer when he's on. And I, I think they're not going to win the cup because of that. They are my cup champs going into this out of the East. And I just don't see them making the finals anymore, but that's just my opinion. What do I know? I know it's a long time ago, like 10 years ago, but he does have that playoff experience and success. Like, Think about that run that he was on with the Habs in 2010 uh, when they got to the conference final. Like he's been there before. So it's not like he's, you know, a guy that's going into this blind. I don't know. I just think they're, they can, they have the the horses up front and they play well enough defensively and they play a hard enough game that I think they can buckle down a little bit to help him out. He got, Halak got traded to Buffalo when I was there and he, he came in, he sat down next to me because Miller got traded. We got him from uh, the blues and he unpacked his bag. I'm like, oh, you know, good to meet you. He's like, don't even bother. I'm not, I'm not going to be here for more than like 24 no. hours. <laughs> and he was dealt later that day. So I got to meet That's him amazing. for one practice. That's funny. Wow. But so anyways, goalies, I think, is a big topic. That's throughout this bubble life. I've just been noticing how many teams are just switching their goaltenders up so much. And I want to do rapid fire with you. And I want you to pick the goalie that's going to start for this team if they make the cup final. Okay. Okay. All right. We got Vegas. Lanner or Flurry? Robin Lanner. Hurricanes. Mrazic or Reimer? Mrazic. The Blues. Allen or Bennington? Bennington. The Stars. Kudobin or Bishop? Kudobin. Wow. The Avs. Frank Coor or Grabur? Grabur? Gruber? Grubauer. Grubauer. You're so good with your pronunciations. Okay. I'm just amazed by how many teams are just. I'm not amazed, but it's. They're splitting time so often, and for some, like sometimes there's no rhyme or reason behind it. Like Dallas puts well, Bishop in and he wins, and they put Hudobi in the next game. It just kind of I don't know. I don't make sense of it sometimes. Well, it's interesting because even when your goalie's playing really well, like you know, you look at Vancouver. They played Sunday night, and so they lose that game, and it goes into OT and then you've got a back-to-back situation where they're playing again last night. And Markstrom has been their unquestioned MVP throughout the season, but yet there were questions, you know, should Markstrom start game four last night? And the big reason for that is there's really never back-to-back games in a normal playoff run. Never. So this is totally unique in the sense that the numbers almost always dictate at least analytically that you're way better off starting your backup for a back-to-back because for whatever reason, the starters numbers dip so significantly in that second game with the workload that it makes sense to do it. And in this case, people were asking the question, like the Canucks are playing their eighth game in the bubble and the blues are playing just really their fourth that matters. Does it make sense to give your team a shot in the arm, a team that might be gassed and, and go to your backup. And in this case, they stuck with Markstrom, which I think makes sense, but now you're in a position where you lost the game and he's even more tired than he was, or maybe. So yeah. 
you know, sometimes that stuff gets overrated at times you get to the playoffs and like sometimes guys find another gear, but still, I think it's worth at least thinking about or asking the question. And the other part is we've had so many injuries. And then you need to look at the actual player themselves. You can have guys who like, I played with like a Ryan Miller who could play every game and not get tired at all. But I've also played with goalies who are, you know, a little out of shape and not exactly made for the long haul, and they need a break every once in a while. So, like, a Marty Brodeur played something silly like 78 games, 77 games. So, you just have to kind of gauge your goalie. But, man, there's, there's some interesting series. I, I know we, don't, we can't get into it too much, but who's your biggest, like, your best team in the bubble so far? Your biggest surprise, I would say, that you're pleasantly surprised that they're there and they're playing well? That's a weird question. Um... But yeah, try to work. Well, I think to me, it's hard, you know, to pick the best team to answer the first part of your question. You know, I'd have a hard time choosing between Colorado and Vegas at the moment. Like, yeah, as well as Colorado has played, like they've just got speed to burn and Vegas has looked like a juggernaut. Like it, it took a while for them to even lose a game in the bubble. And then, you know, I'd say maybe the biggest surprise in a pleasant way has probably been the Canucks. I know they lose game four. Uh, but they had a chance to really knuckle down and put the defending champs on the ropes in that series. And now all of a sudden it's tied, but they were looking like a team that, you know, with the way that they play, how dynamic they are, their forwards with Pedersen and, and Horvat's been a revelation in these playoffs. And then of course, Quinn Hughes on the, the blue line, like Vancouver has been a team that I think has really inserted itself into the conversation as being one of those, you know, potential contenders um and so moving forward like they're a team to to really keep an eye on next year and the year after but I have a hard time believing that even if Vancouver were to sneak through or even if the Blues the defending champs hang on I don't see either one of those teams beating the Blue beating the Avalanche or the Golden Knights yeah those teams are absolutely stacked so those are the ones who impress you which teams were the biggest disappointments from the play-in rounds well, I'd say, you know, even including the first round, my working theory is that any team that has recently won the Stanley Cup has been disengaged in some way. I mean, think about our last three Stanley Cup champs. You've got uh, 2019, the Blues, which finally got back to level ground in their series, as we were talking about. Then previously, you've got the Caps in 2018 a team that's, you know, on the verge of getting swept by the New York Islanders. And then you've got the year before that, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who were already knocked out unceremoniously by the Canadians in the first round. So, you know, you'd know what players think better than I do. But my theory going into it was that for teams that have gone the distance, have won the cup and have done it in a normal environment with fans and everything else that comes with it, the travel and the hoopla and, all the fun it is to play in the Stanley Cup playoffs, to be in this scenario, in this environment, where you have to be away from your family for two plus months, where it doesn't feel quite the same. Like, what's it going to feel like lifting the Stanley Cup in an empty building without fans? Uh, what, you know, this isn't even a normal year to win the Stanley Cup in the sense that can you even have a party? Are you going to have your day with the cup after the fact? So I think all those things kind of weigh in and you're like, well, maybe I'm not as committed to this as I want to be. And you kind of go through the motions. And so I wonder if that's actually a factor. I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins look absolutely disengaged. The Washington Capitals, I didn't think they would be a team this year that would make noise, but 
the fact that they're on the verge of getting swept out, you know, I, you heard this quote from Rick Tockett yesterday, the Coyotes coach, after they lost 7-1, where he said, you find out pretty quickly whether your team wants to be in the bubble or not, or whether they're ready to pack it in and go home. And he said he felt like that was the type of game that said something about his team in a negative way. And so, you know, it's no longer like, hey, let's fight to get to a game seven because who knows what happens on home ice. Now it's like, how quickly can we get the heck out of here? Yeah, it's it's funny how just a little change in routine or a change in scenery really does affect someone mentally. Because you always think of these hockey players and athletes in general just as these strong-willed professionals who just are going to perform under any circumstances. And I, and I listen, I know I'm switching sports, but I read all LeBron James's comments about how hard it is to play in the bubble. And it's just really difficult and always drives me nuts. I'm like, LeBron, every other guy is going through the same thing that you're going through. So just shut your mouth and play basketball. Like, I, I don't understand how it affects him so much, but doesn't affect everybody else. But I do get your argument where if you've won the cup and you've had all these great experiences and when you win the cup and there's fans there, that's got to be an unbelievable experience. I just did a series on the, the Hawks 2010 cup run when they had the parade with 3 million people and fans everywhere. And you, yeah, like you said, it's going to be so weird lifting the cup and have like the one slow clap from the announcer. Like, yay. Right. Good job. And like, way, way to go, man. You're around and you're like, my family isn't here. Like we're may or may not be there. Can they even be on the ice? Can you have a parade? Like it's the weirdest year, like 2020, like I'm raising a giant middle finger to it. And it stinks for whatever team wins that because they're not going to have the same experience and feel that every other team has had. But I think that's why, you know, you might see teams check out a little bit sooner, teams that have been there and done it. So this this year, definitely, there's an advantage for a younger team who hasn't been there. A young team like the Canucks or even a team like the Flyers who are just starving for a Stanley Cup. Do you think they have an edge then based on your theory? I do just because, you know, I've heard just going back to, again, switching sports. Like, I don't know how much you watched golf or the PGA championship last week when Colin Morikawa, a young guy, I think he was 23 years old. He wins and he's like, it was easier because there were no fans here. Like there wasn't that same pressure that you feel to win. And so sometimes like, I think young teams fall into that where they're in an intimidating environment or intimidating building. And it's a little bit tougher to get going. The home team feeds off of that crowd and, and that energy and and you're just in a hole or up against the wall to start. And so they don't have that. So every game is the same. And I think a young team that, you know, does they're not going to feel the same tremors or nerves that, you know, they would if they were in a normal environment. Yeah. When I kind of liken it to preseason this hockey year, when in preseason, there's no fans, the young guys really play great and they're just flying. And then once the season starts, the pressure kind of sets in with, like you said, the fans and the travel and just the, the heaviness of each game, each game is so important down the stretch and guys really step up and some guys falter and they can't handle it, but there's no pressure really in the bubble. Like there's no fans, there's no outside noise. All you're doing is playing hockey. So I I don't know if you feel that kind of pressure where it's an elimination game. You're just like, Oh, whatever. Like it, it just feels like any other game. So I don't know. I'm not there, but it is kind of funny. The mental game that goes on because when you're at somebody's barn and you're down three, two in a series, like you feel that weight and that pressure from the fans. They have like the keys. Oh, get, get on the bus. You loser. You're like, you're not going to win. That adds so much to a player's game. It's, it's just funny, but all right, let's wrap it up here. Who's, who's your biggest player surprise so far. That's just like blown you away. 
Because you watch all the games now. You get to watch every single player. Who stands out for you? Um, it's a good question because, you know, it's funny. Like, a lot of people have had their eyes open to Seth Jones. And they're like, wow, look yeah. at this guy. He's able to play 65 minutes effortlessly. But, like, if you really watch and you've paid attention over the last number of years, like, Seth Jones has already been on my NARS ballot before. So, yeah. like, this isn't – like, I'm not like, oh, wow, Seth Jones. Like, I, I know that he's been that good for a while. Um, I didn't know that Bo Horvat, just going back to the Canucks, had this kind of flair and offense in him. You know, you look at some of the goals that he scored and some of the dangles that he's had, he's been ridiculously good. And, you know, to James Duffy's point the other day on TSN, like if Connor McDavid or if Austin Matthews had scored some of the goals that he scored, we'd be going absolutely wild leading our coverage on TSN with it. But for whatever reason, because he plays in Vancouver, he hasn't gotten enough love and I'd say Pierre-Luc Dubois has been a really pleasant surprise from Columbus, nine points in nine games, a young mm -hmm. guy that really plays with an edge down the middle and is going to be a franchise centerpiece for that team, for lack of a better term. So he's been impressive. And, you know, a lot of people point to Sebastian Ajo as, you know, the playoff leader in points. Like, again, if you've been paying attention, like it, Sebastian Ajo is one of the best players in the league. He's been near a point per game player. There's a reason why the Montreal Canadiens made him an offer sheet. So um, not too many shocks, but just to see these young guys continue to make strides, like to see a Quinn Hughes at the age that he is first year in the league to really step in and play important, important role on a team that's continuing to grow. Like these young guys, man, like they, like, I don't, I don't think it's even no fans. Like I think they just, they're that good and they're able to make an impact that quickly and that early. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Well, the second in points still is McDavid, just so you know, he's got what right. nine points in four games or something silly like that. So, but, and, and you know, and, and so the Oilers lose McDavid and dry will put up 14, 15 points in four games. And somehow people are trying to blame those guys for the reason they lost. They should have had 17 points, Frank. They should have <laughs> done more. You know that. They didn't Come do on. enough. Like it's uh, it's outrageous the narrative sometimes that comes off of these these games and these losses. Like the Edmonton Oilers lost because of the same reason why they didn't make the playoffs in the last number of years before then. There's two guys that can only carry a semi on their back for so long before they run out of gas. Yeah. So let's let's touch on those. I, I always compare the Oilers and the Leafs just because they're they're very similarly kind of structured. They're really top heavy. Because they have so good similar in the failures, you mean? Well, what what do they need to do, those two teams, to kind of take that next step? Well, they need to be better balanced. Like, and in the Oilers' case, they have help on the way and Philip Broberg and Evan Bouchard on their blue line. Like, those two young guys, they desperately need them to take a step forward and improve their defense. And same thing with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, you know, I was thinking what it would have been like if either one of those teams would have won the lottery. Like, and got Alexi Lafreniere, like the, that's like the last thing the Toronto Maple Leafs need at this point. Is it would have been terrible plug, for the Leafs, yeah. <laughs> to plug in another player at forward that's a dynamic piece that all of a sudden makes $4 million that you have to account for, that you still, it, it hampers your ability to actually address your defense once and for all. And I think they tried to do that last summer, getting Tyson Barry at uh, half his normal cap hit. But in this case, that trade backfired spectacularly. Like, I think Tyson Barry is a really nice piece on a good team, but he can't be your guy that's counted on to play in every situation 
to do it. He's an accessory, not a driver. And so, um, you know, I think those teams just need to be better balanced. They, you know, I think the Oilers are going to need to address their goaltending this summer and they're going to need to get some wingers. They're like, they're the all helicopter team, all centers, no wings. So they need to help themselves. You can't just have Ryan Nugent Hopkins playing on the left side. You need some pieces behind them. And so, like I said, they've got the star power. Now they need the supporting cast because, you know, you need guys like John Scott, guys like you to win. You need some guys blue, that baby. are to support you and, and help you get there. Well, how upset are the Leafs? Well, I don't know if upset's the word, but man, does Kadri look really nice in that Avalanche uniform. And he is just playing great in a secondary yeah. scoring role for the Avs. And he's got nine points. He does the things that I think the Leafs missed this playoff round was a little bit of grit, a little bit of forecheck to get in on the forecheck, like yep. Leo Komarov, but better, you know? He, mm-hmm. Do you think they're kicking themselves for that trade? Yeah, I think, especially with the way that Barry played, for sure. I mean, he he was like, from the moment he got there, and I don't know if it was to do with Mike Babcock to start the year or if he never just was able to get it going after that. But it always felt like with Tyson Barry, you were taking a square peg and putting him in a round hole or at least trying to, and it never worked from day one. And so then you see the success that Kadri has, um, you know, it certainly makes you, you know, probably want to punch yourself in the face afterwards when you're going through it and, and watching this avalanche team that, you know, we're all thinking, how's this team going to get better losing Tyson Barry? You're taking 50 or 60 points off their blue line guaranteed. And it didn't affect them one bit because they've had their young guys able to step up. Cal McCarr, they saw him in the playoffs and they're like, yeah, he can do what Tyson Barry did. And then you plug Kadri in down the middle and you're like, wow, we're so much better supported than we were previously. Does, speaking of the Leafs, does Keefe stay on as coach, you think? Oh, I think for sure to start the season, yeah. uh, you know, I don't think the the leash is that short on Sheldon Keefe. I think the leash is definitely shorter. And the guy that's going to be feeling the pressure is now Dubis. Kyle Dubas because he's had a number of years to make these decisions and make these moves to better reshape this roster. And so while they've assembled an incredibly talented cast up front, they're still missing that support and they don't have as much flexibility short of moving one of those pieces in order to really get the help that they need. So I'm going to be interested to see how they tackle the summer. Do they finally say, look, we need to move one of our key forwards in order to get the help that we need on defense. Like that's their big question. And I'm fascinated to see whether they're willing to do it or not. Yeah. I don't think they are. Well, they have no money to, it'll be interesting to see. Um, so you are, you're a fan of hockey, obviously. Do you, do you still root for the flyers or are you just kind of, you don't root for anybody these days? No, that got sucked out of me pretty quickly. Uh, growing up, I I was a huge Flyers fan and went to a lot of games as a kid with my dad and my brother. And um, it was really cool to to get to see how everything worked up close and personal, just being around them every day and going to pretty much every game at home and on the road for seven years. But, um, you know, I think you lose the fandom pretty quickly because, you know, you end up reporting things that people don't like and they're not happy with you for and you know, as a journalist, you're really just after getting the facts and getting the truth out there. And sometimes that bothers people. And, you know, you can't really be a fan and do it objectively if you're going to, um, if you want, if that's your goal and what you want to get out. I agree. So non-objectively, strictly analytics here. Who do you got winning the cup? Whew. Um, 
How is this I'll not on the tip of your tongue? You should know. Come on, Frank. Well, because uh, like you know that this game is as wild and crazy as anything. Like, and, like truly anything could happen. Like, if you told me, put a gun to my head and said the Canucks are going to win the cup, I like, uh, who am I going to like? What am I going to do to talk you out of it? Like, I don't know. But um, I my preseason cup pick was Colorado, and I'm, I feel pretty good about sticking with them. That's a good pick. That's my pick as well. All right, Frank. Last question. What what is the what does a Frank Cervalli do for fun these days? Well, it's certainly been different during the pandemic, but um I like to golf, I like to drink, I like to eat, um, hang out with my buddies, spend time with my family. Pretty simple, simple life. Don't uh I don't do anything crazy, don't go anywhere crazy. And um, yeah, that's it. I'm just uh fat old guy with two little kids and just uh just hanging out fat old guy you're younger than me i think i think i am but yeah i feel really old how old are you 37 36 no i'm actually 32 oh my goodness you're way younger than i am unbelievable frank you're a baby but anyways i'll leave it at that I really enjoy this conversation, Frank. You're such a good dude. Uh, thanks for all the insight. My viewers are probably going to lose their mind over this episode, so I really appreciate it. Good luck watching hockey today. Have fun. Buckle up. Thanks, thanks, John. Take care, man. All right, Frank. We'll talk to you later. See you, buddy. Frank, Sarah Valley, Sarah Valley. I always butcher his last name, but anyways, really, really cool conversation. This guy, he's 32 years old. He looks like he's 47, but. He is going to be the hockey insider for the next 30 years for the NHL. Just let that sink in. If you're 32 years old, you just were handed the keys to the kingdom by Bob McKenzie. He gave him his little black book of all his players and GMs and agents and owners and this and that. Like this guy is going to be the insider for the next 30 years. How crazy is that? He's just such a cool guy. Good guy to know. So anyways, I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. It's so, it's so cool to talk to a guy who is on the inside, you know, and he's just very level-headed. He knows hockey. So very, very interesting. Anyways, everybody, I hope you enjoyed. Um, I'll talk to you in a couple of days. Stay well, stay safe, and cheers. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball, back in action. And there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champ Robert Ori. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sport news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at Dropping underscore Gloves for episode highlights, behind-the-scenes content, sneak peeks, and giveaways. Check out johnscottallstar.com slash shop for merchandise including t-shirts hats hoodies and so much more and please please leave a review on apple Podcasts. it's so important to helping us grow so we can keep delivering the hockey content and interviews with the players you love thanks and see you next time